HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This is Bernie Lubbers, the global brand ambassador for whiskeys for Heaven Hill Distillery out of Bartstown in Louisville, Kentucky. And you're listening to Heritage Radio Network. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meet and 3, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. This week, we're celebrating black culture through the complicated lens of agriculture. We speak to Carla Hall about her uncompromising soul food recipes. And I was like, what am I doing? Why am I changing my family's history for another culture? We also hear from Gabriela Rodriguez at Harlem Grown's Youth Farm Uptown. About empowerment and, you know, community resilience building through this work. Um, food is kind of just a vehicle. Leah Penniman addresses feeling like an outsider in the farming community. I could count on my two hands the number of, of people who appeared to be POC, people of color. Mm. And so I literally would go around little slips of paper and, and, and say, hey, meet at one o'clock under this tree so we can talk. Tune in to this week's Meet and Three on Heritage Radio Network. That's Meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E, available wherever you listen to podcasts. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you some in the end. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Souther Teague. My co-host Damon Bolthy is still lounging around in San Francisco, I suppose. Um, enjoying the beautiful weather out there. Damon, we miss you. I hope you're listening. Um... I've got a few things I want to say before we get to our guests in the studio today. Um, I want to congratulate a bunch of people, a lot of people. Congratulations are in order for all of the James Beard Awards semifinalists. The list came out today. I uh, especially want to congratulate some of my uh, dear friends uh, on that list, including Derek Brown down at the Columbia Room in Washington, D.C., uh, Ivy Mix and Julie uh, Reiner uh, at Leander right here in Brooklyn, and especially to Anu and Chris Elford at Seattle's No Anchor. Um, I can't wait to hear who moves on to the finals, and I'm, I'm wishing good luck to everybody who made the list at all. It's really pretty amazing. Um, uh, another thing I want to mention. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. There we go. Thanks, Matt. Um, I also want to mention something I'm involved in. I've been involved in for a couple of years now. Uh, it's far away. August 25th to 28th will be the New York City session of Bar Methods. That's a 
uh, sort of a 101 intro class for bartenders where we teach uh, basic techniques. Uh, I typically teach a class of stirring, um, which is, you know, a 90-minute course of me teaching you how to stir. It sounds, uh, sounds like a lot of extra time, but it, I, I, I always run out of time before I'm done. <laughs> Honestly, when they told me, uh, you know, you got 90 minutes to, to talk about stirring, I was like, I can do it in two minutes. And then I, he said, no, just think about it. And then I went away and I started thinking about it. And I was like, I called him back and I was like, can I have two hours? <laughs> And he was like, no, it's 90 minutes, dude, cram it in. Um, so there's a lot to be said, you know, when you when you really get into immersive things like this. So um, Bar Methods, uh, you can go to www.barmethods.com. Uh, applications are now open for this uh, this year's session in New York City. It's a pretty great program. Uh, for a set price, you get to come. Uh, you pay for your own travel to get here, obviously. But once you're in New York City, um, you get put up at a hotel for three days. You get to go through all the courses. You get fed meals. You get uh, sponsored events. Um, it's it's pretty intensive and, and really rad. So I highly recommend you get on that. Barmethods.com for the New York City sessions, August 25th to the 28th. Um, yeah, so that's all I've got to kick off the show. But here in the studio today, we've got uh, uh, Brendan Casey, who is uh, current owner-operator of Parlor Wine and Spirits here in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Welcome to the studio, Brendan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, it's good to see you again. Uh, we're kind of neighbors, right? I just moved out of the city and into Greenpoint, um, which you know I've, I've already admitted a few times on the air that I'm not really <laughs> fond of. Um, I, I realized immediately that I'm not cut out to live on a quiet, tree-lined street, which is where I wound up here in Greenpoint. Um, but uh, but I'm happy to have a shop like yours nearby. Oh, thanks so much. <laughs> yeah, we're a little bit of uh, New York City sanity in the middle of uh, a pretty a pretty sleepy neighborhood. I mean, where you are is is more active than where I'm at. The street that I'm on is literally two, I think maybe almost three blocks of zero businesses. Uh, it's yeah, all... the commercial street level commercial gives you that energy that you don't have on your street for sure. I mean, I've lived in I lived in the East Village and Lower East Side for 15 years. Yeah. And then I, I found this apartment that's like, oh, my God, it's three times the size of my apartment. It's $250 a month less. And the math going, checks out. Yeah, let's do this yeah. thing. And, like, I think the night I moved in, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> what a mistake. Yeah, if you have buyers signed a two-year lease. That's <laughs> just a little bit of growing pains for it. I think. Uh, it'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I also, uh, the converse to that, I it's the best apartment I've ever lived in. There I mean, go. ever. Not in New yeah. York, just ever. Like, it's the greatest apartment. I love the apartment, but man. Making a step up and making a change, uh, like we're going to talk about today for sure, is uh, frequently you have this idea that it's a good thing to do, and then you forget how goddamn hard it is. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, we have you on the show because I, I only just met you through a mutual friend of ours. Um, you, you're running this cool shop in Greenpoint that sells uh, uh, wine and spirits, obviously, um, and... I thought to myself, you know, I don't think in the history of the speakeasy, uh, unless it was before my time, and I, I did scroll back through to see that we've ever had anybody on who ran an off-premise, a, a, a retail site. And I think it's a, a conversation that we need to have, you know, like um, we talk obviously all the time about bartending and selling, you know, booze and spirits and wine to people, you know, by the glass. Yeah. But now you've shifted to selling by the bottle. But let's talk about your career prior to that, because you did the opposite before and now you made the leap yeah that's right yeah it, so it's definitely <clears throat> like we're saying it's got a lot of big challenges to it and there are distinct and discrete differences between doing on and off premise um and it's only been it's only been a few months that we've been into this particular project with the doors open we've been working on it for a year and a half now um there's so much to it that's so different so i'll unpack that for sure uh <laughs> i started working in uh bars and restaurants when I was a kid. Uh, so 
It's been now 26 years, which well, seems... As a kid, did your dad own the joint? No, I worked at this Sicilian gelato place out in Long Island that made 80 different flavors of house-made gelato and sorbet. It's crazy. It's still there. It's been there for a long time. Um, and so that was the start of it for me. You know, five bucks an hour cash. Yeah, buddy. You know, as a, as a sophomore in high school, it's like Rolling a huge pile of money. And every month on a Saturday at the end of service, they would close the restaurant. The owners would go home. The waiters, the bartenders, the back boys, everybody would have a big poker game in the back room and get really drunk. And for like being a 14 year old kid smoking cigarettes and gambling, you know, the $60 you made in tips that night. Right. Maybe you make 120 or 200 bucks. Yeah. Maybe you go home dead broke. Right. But like that kind of put the put the little needle in for, you know, an exciting life doing a service. And so, uh, you know, from there, I worked at a pretty, pretty well-known uh, place on Avenue A for a long time. I, I bartended and managed at 7A, 24-hour oh, 20, yeah. joint. I feel like anytime I've ever told any industry person about it, they're like, oh, man. Yeah. Either that burger or, like, <laughs> yeah. I've been there blacked out, you know, so many times. So it was, like, a wild time. I worked midnight to 8 a.m. there when I first started there in 1999. Wow. And, uh, I, you know, weirdly, I did a similar thing when I was young i was in high school still okay and i worked at a waffle house yes which are open 24 hours a day yeah, so i smothered I and covered man I, yeah buddy <laughs> so i worked the overnight shift which meant i caught it was a 10-hour shift i caught the end of dinner yeah the the entirety of the after bar rush and half of breakfast before i had to leave and go to high school yeah i mean you i always said that it's like it's the circle of human experience that a lot of people don't always get to see right that they don't get to see the whole picture, you sure. know, it's Sun like sunset sunrise. I saw this guy come in with his wife at nine o'clock. I saw him come in with his girlfriend at three 30, you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> and you gotta be discreet. Even back then, I think I realized there was, you know, uh, discretion was the bigger part of it. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's, it's hard because like you're, you know, I was, I lived in long Island for a long time as a kid and, uh, I moved into the city in 99 as living on seventh street and C and, uh, you're kind of wide-eyed, but at the same time, you're like, the best move is to, like, observe yeah. and not speak. And it served, served me well, for sure. You know, kept me out of a lot of trouble. So I won't spill too many secrets. I think the statute of limitations is still open on a lot of things yeah. that happen there. I mean, yeah, it's definitely uh, um, a thing that I've... You have to cultivate it. Yeah. You have to understand that, okay, I'm seeing someone, male, male or female, this, doesn't, this isn't one-sided. Yeah. You see someone and you can't say things like, Welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> because whoever they're with doesn't know they've been here before. Oh, yeah. Right? You just have to say things like, welcome. It's funny. Something it's like nice to see you. That came up <laughs> in this store yesterday. You know, a friend uh, a friend who just visited the store for the first time came in with a friend of hers who's been in a few times. I know them both pretty well for over the years. And uh, she was like, oh, I bet you see so-and-so all the time. And I'm like, I can't say. Yeah. I would never say. Yeah. You know, that's that's in between us. You know, she might come in six days a week. This may be only her third time in here. But I'll never say, yeah. you know, same thing being a bartender, same thing, you know, yeah. just like, nice to see you again. That's it. Yeah. I, I sort of imply the again. Yeah. I just say, nice to see you. Yeah. 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 Welcome. If it's a I'll real regular, back, if it's know? a real regular guest, they're kind of wanting a little bit of a like, well, you know, but you, show you that read shine. that person too. You exactly. Know? Right. But there yeah. are those who just want to be somewhat anonymous even to you. Yeah. 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 You know, and I think that that probably extends, uh, we'll get to the retail world, but I think that probably extends to your world as well because... In my world, they may be coming in for 
an after work drink, but in your world, they're coming in and grab a bottle. If they would grab yeah. a bottle today, but they just grabbed a bottle yesterday, that yeah. might be yeah, yeah. embarrassing. Or, I just, I always presume that everybody's hosting a party. Always. With other people attending. <laughs> always. Yeah. It'd, be, it'd be rude not to. It'd be rude to say anything about quantity or quality. Exactly. So you were living in the East Village. Yeah, living in the East Village, working at that place. Uh, I did like every job there. You know, I, I bust, I bust, I delivered, I, I bartended, I waited tables. But I started out waiting tables, doing that overnight shift. Um, got connected there with a friend of mine. And, um, you know, just that was really the first place where I really kind of got it because I got to see the full picture. You know, the place out in Long Island when I was a kid and working at McDonald's, you don't really see everything. But when you go and when you stay in the same place and you write the schedule for the job that you used to have five years ago. Right. And you are, you know, writing out the steps of service for the jobs that you had five years ago and you're innovating and changing those roles in that position because you've grown through that position. You know, you really kind of get more of a respect for like uh, the holistic view of the restaurant. This is how other people see us. This is how the waiter sees the bartender. This is how the bartender sees the waiter. Like there's a reason why we tip out the bartender this much and why we do this, that, and the other thing, you know, and you can really see the structure of power and the structure of, you know, order really in the restaurant and why it exists. Um, and so that was pretty, pretty enlightening, I think. And how old were you at that time? <sighs> that time I'm like 21 when I started working there. So yeah, from 20, from until 2008. So, uh, worked there until I was 30. Amazing. It was a good time. It was a good time. It was a cool time for New York too. You know, I mean, sure. obviously pre nine eleven, that neighborhood especially pre nine eleven. But yeah, I mean, there's there's crazy amounts of uh, uh, you know late night things that happened there that were, you know, it was it was like relatively star studded just because like nothing was open really at yeah. six in the morning. Where are you going to go if you were in the meatpacking district and just closed up your bar or your club? Yeah. Or if you're like you know if you're around the corner if you just shut down. Um, you know, if you just shut down on First Avenue or something, you leave and, you know, where are you going to go? You got a bunch of cash in your pocket. You know, you're probably, you probably live in the neighborhood. You're tired. You're kind of hungry. You're tired. You're kind of hungry. You're like, oh yeah, California omelet sounds real good right about now. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost healthy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I worked there for a long time and then um, ended up connecting with some friends um, who worked at number seven in Fort Greene. So uh, kind of like Michelin recognized restaurant and that really kind of got me into that level of, um, service, which is basically where I stayed since then, uh, just kind of like hovering below, uh, the Michelin star in terms of like where you are in the, in the, uh, in the, in the, food, in the, the, the food, the literal food chain, right? <laughs> exactly. In the, in the real food chain or food pyramid, I guess, uh, like bib gourmand and below. And so, um, kind of got an appreciation for that. Same thing too. I was able to like read the restaurant a little bit more since I had that experience in this like rough and tumble place. It's kind of like, Oh, it's the same thing, but nicer. And everybody's nice. Yeah. And every, everybody's clothes are clean. And everybody's kind of free flowing with the money. Yeah. And yeah, nobody's cards really getting declined, you know, right. like they're all, it's like 99% going through every single time <laughs> yeah. as opposed to like, I'm going to have to like hold this guy's ID until he comes back with five bucks for his, you know, breakfast special. Right. Uh, and so, so that was where I was, I was there for a long time. I helped them with, um, a couple new projects they did. They opened up a couple sandwich shops as like a spinoff project. They had one in the Ace Hotel. Mm-hmm. up in uh, Nomad uh, before that was a, you know, much like Greenpoint, like before that was a neighborhood where anything happened. And um, then came back, I moved to Seattle for a couple of years, worked there for a few years. Uh, my wife is from out there and then um, 
came back. When you go back, you got to go to No Anchor. Oh, you know, I've never been there, actually. Yeah. Oh, man, No Anchor just got its second James Beard nomination, which I just listed earlier. Yeah. And then, of course, their bar literally right next door, Navy Strength, won last year's Tales of the Cocktail Best New American Cocktail Bar. That's amazing. So you got to hit them up. I mean, Seattle's bar scene is, is crushing it. It's imp- it's it's impeccable, you know. Uh, Zigzag and Cannon, all, uh, those, all those places. Those guys are fantastic. Barnacle's great. Like, just going back to visit, it's it's you can't really hit every new place because you want to hit all the old places too because they're still good. Everybody's still doing a fantastic job. Agreed. Um, so I worked in Seattle for a couple of years there. I actually worked down in the market near Zigzag, so I got to go there after shift a few times. And uh, when Murray was still on the bar, yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah. yeah. So that's like. Uh, a little bit of like a feather in the cap for being out, being out for a night and getting the last word from that guy is, is pretty cool. Yep. Uh, and uh, then came back to New York to open a new concept for these guys and then ended up working in uh, the West Village, uh, which is kind of where I was uh, for the past six years at uh, uh, Tuscan Restaurant on Christopher Street. And, um, you know, just had this feeling, you know, I got really into Italian wine and spirits there and seeing, uh, you know, this restaurant is pretty well regarded. Italian wine and spirits like really tells a story from the start of the meal to the end of the meal and just I kind of fell in love with that you know there's a narrative you have your aperitif you have something sparkling you have white wine you know depending on the meal you're having you have a red wine maybe you have a bigger red wine maybe you finish with ricciotto maybe you finish with amato maybe you finish with grappa and like I always kind of knew about these things you know like you saw you know like being at a bar when I was 18, 19 you maybe saw like Ramazzotti, maybe right. maybe saw Verna, you know, on the back bar, and you were kind of like, I don't know what that is. It's unique. It's interesting. I've seen it at a few different places, but I don't know what it is. Uh, and then so getting to understand this and working with the chef, who's you know a woman from Florence, who is deeply this culture is deeply ingrained there, um, and getting that translated to me, I was like, oh, I love t- I love telling this story myself. And so, uh, kind, you know, and at that point. Uh, we had our, we've had our second kid, so we're two kids in. I was like, okay, this is great. I still love telling this story. I don't like working these hours anymore. Uh-huh. So what do I do? You know, and this is a respectable restaurant bar. I'm out the door at 12:30. It's still too late with two kids to be getting home at one in the morning. You know, well, right, because they've no respect for your need to sleep in. Yeah. <laughs> or really even their own need to sleep in. Sure. <laughs> they're, yeah. They're just like when it's go time, it's go time. It's like I'm gonna pop up, it's five fifteen, it's eight thirty. Doesn't, Doesn't matter. matter. Yeah. It's time to go. Wake yeah. up, mom and dad, I get up. And so we love those guys, of course. And uh I kinda thought like, Oh, I still wanna do this thing. I have this wealth of knowledge. You know, twenty five years of working in the business and you think like, Okay, if I do something else, A, I'm gonna have to like really level up some skill that I don't know what it is to do another career. Sure. And then you're also in this comfortable trap of, well, I make X amount of dollars a night working at this restaurant or bar. How do I leave that to go do a $32,000 a year job at the, at the first level of whatever field I change to, you know? Right. You sort of face an internal conflict of, okay, I'm going to maybe make this change for my children, but I'm going to change a lot of income which is going to affect them too i think and i think you can do it in a lot of other places around the country however in new york city not really that easy to take a leap and to take you know to take a take a pass on a paycheck for a year for 18 months right. you know so uh that was a big challenge and i thought okay how am i going to do this how am i going to 
use my knowledge. You know, I, I, after working in restaurants and doing that top-down role of kind of doing everything in a place, I thought, I don't want to open a restaurant. I, yeah. don't, I don't want to deal with food. No. You know, we invested in a bar um, around the corner from us in Greenpoint, and they're, they're just a bar. You know, and they talked about doing food, and I was like, great. If you guys want to do food, here's my recommendation. Get somebody to do it. Yeah. Get somebody else to do it. Yeah. Here's my recommendation for food. Don't do food. <laughs> if you want somebody to do food, you get them to permit it. You get them to staff it. You get them to concept it. And you get them to just pay you a facility fee. Sure. Literally, do not do it unless it's meeting those conditions because there's so many headaches, you know, and it's um, the margins are tough and you're already, you know, you're, if you're already a bar with booze, you, you got half the battle there. You know, having food is just about keeping people in your bar. Right. So you came to this place where you decided the, 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 the knowledge base that you built is strong. The passion that you have for the, for the, for the material is, is there, but suddenly the lifestyle that you're living with your wife and two kids now says to you, this, that can't continue. Yeah, exactly. So right. there had to be a logical next step and we're going to come right back yeah. and find out what that step was, but we already know. We'll be right back with Brendan Casey of Parlor Wine and Spirits right here in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Speakeasy on Heritage Radio, and we're bonding. And I'm the Bottle and Bond guy. Right, so we make Bottle and Bond whiskey at Heaven Hill Distillery, makers of Evan Williams Bottle and Bond, Rittenhouse Rye, the most sought-after Bottle and Bond rye whiskey in the world, Henry McKenna, the oldest age-stated Bottle and Bond in the world, and Mellow Corn. Bottle and Bond's great. There's probably 4,000-plus labels of American whiskey today, but there's less than 30 Bottle and Bonds. Tune into the Speakeasy and bond over a little bottle and bond, Evan Williams and Heaven Hill whiskeys. You can rewind, erase, forget my face. And we're back on the Speakeasy with Brendan Casey of Parlor Wine and Spirits, right here in Greenpoint. Oh, what you got there, buddy? So now you have my attention. <laughs> <laughs> that sweet little pop. So uh, this is really this is the thing that links the two parts of the story together. So a uh, good friend of mine, actually, uh, he started a project a few years back, and uh, we, we ended up out at a soccer game out in Long Island just kind of chatting about it, and he knew you know, that I'd spent a lot of time in the industry, and he's not an industry person, but he's, he's a big consumer. He loves whiskey, and so uh, he was starting on this project uh, making his own whiskey. And so I started talking. You know, we were talking back and forth about it, and I think... Um, after a little while, he was kind of like, okay, this guy knows enough stuff where I'm going to want to have this knowledge on board in a more firm sort of way, you know? And so he had me uh, help him launch his brand um, and get it out into the greater New York area. So this is his stuff. They make it down actually in Bardstown, Kentucky. Uh, they contract to still it with a place called Strong Spirits. And um, yeah, it's, it, this, was the, this was what brought me to where I am now. So uh, it's a little wolf whiskey. It's like a rye and malted barley whiskey. And um, I helped him show it around town. I showed it to a lot of my bartender friends. I showed it to a lot of people I knew in the business. And uh, I kind of thought, oh, I, I kind of like this. You know, I'm still telling a story. And, you know, that's kind of what bartending is. You know, if you're, you're sitting there, you're telling a story about the way the cocktail was made or about the restaurant and how the restaurant came to be or whatever. Only in this case, I'm doing it at 2 in the afternoon 
and showing it to somebody and then I'm going home and you know, Hey, look at me. I'm home at seven o'clock, you know, right. Super. It's a good time to be home. And, uh, so I did that for him for a little while, just kind of ad hoc, um, helping him out. And so we work, me, me and my buddy Alex worked on this, uh, for a long time. He still does it. That's like his main, main thing to do in, in addition to owning a number of other businesses. And, um, we thought, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if you had a place where you did this during the day? And I was like, okay, this is great. And really, also my wife has a big, uh, big credit for this too, because she she always thought you should you should open a store, and she she had that vision for me. I didn't have it for myself, you know, to be frank. And uh, she was like, oh, you should open a store. I think that would be cool. You'd be like the guy at the store. People like to come in. That you know, I like to meet up with people and have a chat and like get them to where they're going. You know, they want to buy a bottle of wine. We have wine. Let's ask a few questions and chop it up, and then. Get that bottle, you'll be on your way. I mean, it's the same thing you did uh, all the minute and by the glass. It's truly identical, with one huge caveat and off-premise. You don't get to be there while they enjoy it. The, well, the real caveat is you can't pour them a taste. Uh, yeah. And I find that that's especially challenging when you're on kind of like the outer fringes of it in terms of flavors and profiles, that sort of thing. Sure. You know, so like if you're going to pour like a, you know, a like Longue Fresia or like some funky natural wine and it's like... I don't know if this is going to be a hit or a bust. It's like, let me know how you feel next time you come back to the store, if you do. <laughs> right. So it's a little bit more of a long gamble. But um, that was really, that's really what brought us to it. You know, I brought this around the city, got it placed in about 60 different bars and restaurants. And um, from there, you know, my wife actually, she found the listing for this business that we ended up taking over. And um, these guys are a, uh, they're a, we're the third owners of this store which I think is also really cool. Just being a neighborhood spot and uh, being being there for the community. You know, um, it's been a liquor store since the 80s, which is awesome. Red. And so we've gotten to change it over and do a few different things. Well, even that, I feel like I remember you um, uh, You mentioned to me when I was in your store mm-hmm. that, that taking over a, a liquor store is easier than creating a liquor store. Also true. Also very true. And uh, we uh, ended up, ended up fi- talking to a friend and... Uh, he owns a store in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and uh, his advice really, he was like, oh, you guys want to do this? Okay, you know, here's how to do it. And he did the same thing, actually. He took over a bulletproof spot. So they, you know, his place, they pulled down, you know, these huge plexiglass sheets right. around the counter and stuff. So Bulletproof he, liquor stores are a big thing in New York City. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know if it's analogous to anything anywhere else, really, but right. it's pretty unique here. You, you just have a guy... St- some places even it's like a lazy Susan door where you physically can't interact with any booze yeah, or anything. You yeah. put your money on the lazy Susan, it turns around, it goes to a blind side and then the whiskey comes out or the booze comes out and that's it. Yeah. It's and like a giant vending machine operated by a human. <laughs> exactly. You, look, you can see it all through plexiglass and he's back there and you just go that one and that one and that one and then the little lazy Susan thing. Truly a wild experience. There's actually one that's down on uh, Mott, like the corner of Mott and Pell Street in Chinatown if you're ever uh, in town and you want to have this particular weird vibe. <laughs> They're also always just crazy brightly lit. Yeah, it's it's You're standing in like a glass box of lumens and booze all around that you can't touch. I would imagine it's not an environment that's enjoyable if you've already had a drink. 
That's yeah. for sure. It's got to be painful. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's painful without one too. Yeah. So we ended up uh, we ended up picking this place up, and um, just the way the laws work, it's it's a real pain to get into a space and open a new liquor store. You have to have the lease. Uh, you have to ha- have been occupying the space for six months before you can even apply. Which seems wacko. So, the, so basically, the, the 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 notion is, I've got to acquire a space and hold it for six months, paying rent, and then apply and hope I get approved. And hope you get approved, and that process. And can if take, I don't get approved, that process took us uh, from we submitted in September, and we got our paper, our official full license in uh, in January. Five months later, so it could be it could be a year in a space without having any sort of income coming in, right? Without having rent going out, and also sweating, thinking to yourself, "Well, I signed a five ten year lease, yeah, and I don't know if I'm even going to get approved." I think there's some like what cave- you got to do? You open a coffee shop. I think there's some <laughs> caveats. There's like a good guy clause, which is basically like you can get sure, out, sure. Um, you can kind of write your way around it, but the reality of it is you're throwing that money down the toilet if you end up in that scenario. It's right. real tough. Um, so, but luckily. There's a there's a way in, and the sideways way in is to buy an existing store. You can either buy their license and buy into their corporation, or you can apply for a temporary and go go that way. Um, so we ended up going that way, and um, you know that's really it. Now, now it's being in the store and then seeing every little thing that's different than being behind a bar, and yeah. it is it is really fascinating every single day to see something different. How how does it feel when you're like? Well, actually, I have a, a funnier question because I, so I got to see some of the back of the back of the operation while I was there um, when I visited you at the shop, and I saw you have some some of the stock from the place that it was before. So the place that it was before, <laughs> not, which is nothing wrong with what yeah, it was, yeah. it was a place that was servicing a need, right? Yeah, it was a place that served a bunch of mini bottles and flasks, and you know, it was it was the place that kept the neighborhood you know greased, lubricated, sure. yeah, for sure. It's <laughs> so definitely what, a genre piece. So what? I, <laughs> So what, what, my question is, what happened to all that stock? Because you took over the stock, right? Yeah, we took so over the stock. So you're trying to create a, a whole new, it's like basically saying like, oh, I, I'm going to open a, you know, a, a, like you said, sort of a bib gourmand level yeah. restaurant. Yeah. But I took over this McDonald's and there's all this stuff still here. What do you do with it? You stand with one foot on the boat and one foot on the pier <laughs> and you try to straddle the two until you jump in the boat, hopefully without getting too wet. Yeah. And uh, that's exactly what we did. You know, we opened the door. Uh, we opened the door the day we got our temporary license, without a single thing I had ever bought, with our stamp on it, with our like imprimatur of like, right. this is us. We're gonna, you know, rally behind this flag. Uh, and so, there's a lot of, you know, like bartending. There's the narrative. There's you're explaining the story. Hey, we just bought the store. You know, we're neighborhood folks. None of this is ours, but like. It's here, yeah. <laughs> kind of damning with faint, faint praise, you know. Right. I mean, yeah, sure. I would have. I don't know. I would have bagged up some stuff and been like, you know, not bl- blind bags. Not everything lived. That's for sure. We did. Like, you here's know, some blind bags for five bucks. Here's some ten dollar ones, and here's some twenty dollar ones. We opened a. F- here's we, a punch kit. We opened a few. We opened a few <laughs> bottles for sure, um, just to see if like we could even let it go in good conscience sure. with a price on it, and. uh <laughs> And some things we couldn't, you know, so some things got boxed up, you know, they just oxidized old stock or whatever. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, and so some, th- and some w- things. Wine wise, but there was a lot of spirit stuff around. Yeah. And you know, good thing about spirits. It never goes bad. They don't go bad. And that's the other appeal. It may be bad to start with though. Yeah. <laughs> that's, well, that is true. Um, but that's kind of the appeal of running a place like this versus running a restaurant. You know, you're a dry goods store. 
You don't have to worry about like, what if the dishwasher goes out? What if the drains back up? Right. You know, all the moving parts, all the wet things, all the hot things, all that stuff that's in a restaurant and a bar just doesn't exist here. It's the shelves. It's the basement downstairs. Yeah. That's it. It's a music playing. Beautiful. It's, and it's beautifully <laughs> simple. And, you know, some of that ties into the Italian thing, too. Like, you know, working in a fine dining place that is Tuscan in nature, it's all about, like, have the best ingredients, but not too many. Oh, yeah. You know? I love that. Yeah. That's my style as well. Yeah. Cacio pepper. You got cheese. You got pasta. You got black pepper. Yeah. That's it. Moving but on. it's the best. Yeah. It's all the best. Uh, speaking of the best, uh, let's talk about this uh, um, this whiskey you brought. Yeah. So I uh, brought a little something in for the bar. Like we said, this is the project that I, I helped my friend with. And uh, like it's, it's 95% rye. It's 5% malted barley. It's 90 proof. So you can cocktail with it. You can throw an ice cube in it you can uh just drink it neat if you want because it's sweet enough and mm. uh, i mean you, you can taste it you know you know what's going on there wow it's got a re- i mean all right full disclosure i've been ill i've been in my bed for the past three days basically um but uh it's kind of it's got a very honeyed finish do you get that i get a little honey like get honeycomb. a little like sweet blueberries maybe yeah. like real ripe blueberries a little cereal taste to it almost. For sure, cereal. Has a malted barley, yeah. I think. Kind of rounds it out. Um, yeah, and so, like I said, my friend and his partner, they started this. They kind of did. They built the spirit itself. They did all the branding for it. I had, like, a little bit to say. The first run of it had a gold screw cap on it. I said, everything's great. Lose the screw cap. <laughs> Cork enclosure. Way to go, you know. And uh, they changed the bottle shape a little bit, so it looks a little bit less like it should sit in the rail. And it's... uh in a happy place you know they priced it nicely so it can sit on a bar and you don't feel bad about it like this on your bar cart looks good yeah it's a fine looking whiskey uh i'll post a photo on the uh, speakeasy podcast instagram take a look at that um and, and i'll probably find a link to it as well um so you've you've been in in the shop now how long been in the shop since halloween of last year so it's been a, almost four months yeah up and fully running up and fully running with almost everything that really has our name on it on the shelves took about two weeks for us to do a solid clear out it's been an absolute insane whirlwind of tasting with uh what it can only describe as they're gonna hate this if they listen to it but a like a school of piranhas of wine reps and liquor reps right. coming in the door. You know, there's blood in the water. An there's a new store water, here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. The first few weeks were wild. Uh, but we actually, like I said, uh, our friend that um, has a shop in Williamsburg directed us to his favorite people from certain companies. So we opened our accounts with them as our reps. And so we didn't ha- we got like a, got a little leg up. Fast track. Yeah, yeah, I got a little fast track from him. And then, uh, you know, I know a lot of the guys from uh, the finer wine merchants uh, working at a nice wine bar in, in Manhattan. So um, we didn't really have to have too much truck with the, the real hard, you know, the, I don't want to say anything bad about a used car salesman, but a, a real huckster of a rep. You know, there's some sure. some guys out there pushing some 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 stuff pretty hard that's not very good. Uh, you know, just some stuff that needs pushing. It needs a, <laughs> it, it needs a home somewhere, and it might not be with us. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and there's I think there's a seat in the Pantheon for everything. 
I have to agree. Yeah, I don't. You, you I, don't I, have to hold that seat. Though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I'm not paying rent for that seat for that particular bottle. But exactly. uh, I think that uh, there's, you know, there's a drink for everyone. You know, and even for somebody who doesn't drink, like some seed lip or something like that. Sure. Get some spirit-free cocktails. Why not? And there's more more of those things hitting the market too. Uh, it's becoming more of a, more of a movement. Um, you're focusing mostly on wine. For sure, but, uh, for a couple of reasons, but yeah. What? Yeah. What are they? Well, uh, I think I think I think wine has this. Uh, wine has a real story, but it also moves in a way that alcohol doesn't. That spirits don't. You know, you have a 750 milliliter bottle of whiskey. How long is that going to stay in your house? Depending on who you are as a person, maybe ten days, maybe a month, maybe six months. You have a bottle of wine. You open it up. It's not staying in your house more than a week. It's gone. Then you buy another bottle. Um, so just in terms of like having things move, having things turn over, um, that's helpful for the store, of course, to be moving through inventory. But then also on top of that, um, I, I like the stories, you know, the stories are great. You can do, I feel like you can do so much to a wine, so much to grapes from start to finish from the field until you have the finished product. Everybody's got a different thing that they're doing. Uh, everybody's got something unique. There's a lot of innovation. I'm sure all your listeners know about the natural wine craze, about biodynamic wine and, uh, you know, skin contact, skin contact, yeah, those orange wines, wines, everything that's coming from like a border, like you have, and you know, then you have the story of Europe there, you know, like a wine that's coming from, uh, Alto Adige is like, this is a wine with like an Austrian name on the label, but it's Italian, but it tastes like a Swiss wine, you know, and you kind of get to go through that whole story, which is super cool. One thing I was going to, I was going to highlight the notion that you've, you've used the word story a bunch of times. Yeah. And I think that maybe that's one of the biggest differences between what you formerly did and what you do now, what, what I currently do and what you do now, which is a lot of what I do is story based. Yeah. But then I also have lots of props and theater. Sure. Whereas I feel like maybe at the shop, you just have the story. Because my prop is, oh, here, I'm going to make you one. Right. I'm going to pour you some. Yeah. I'm going to talk yeah. to you about the other ingredients that go that are going along with the adjunct story that I'm adding to the story. Yeah, it's technically illegal to be pouring anything in the store for anybody to taste. You know, you're not allowed to have anything there outside of an official sort of tasting. You can't have, like, a little small nip bottle on the side where you're pouring splashes for people. Right. And so... Like you said, there's less of a prop there, but um, but there's other props. But even back where you were in the restaurant, the the, the props were the food. The props yeah. were, you know, uh, whatever, the cheese course. You had other things to prop your story up oh, on. Oh, for sure. Um, whereas now you just have a story to tell, and then hopefully they bite, and hopefully they lay down their money. Yeah. And like you said, hopefully they have a good time because you don't know. Because you couldn't give them a taste, and then when they and come back, you know, they come back. yeah, yeah, and exactly you'll know right. hopefully right away, right? Yeah, there's a there's you know there's a little more nuance, there's a little more to it, but it's a little bit more subtle. Um, you know, I try to. This is really coming from like my years in service is maintaining the place as uh, somewhere where like I know I know stuff I know stuff about the products. You know, I know these stories, um, but I, I try to present it in a real humble way. And just say, like, I think this is great. I really enjoyed this. You know, we, you know, there's some bottles of wine there where I say, hey, we opened this for Thanksgiving. It was great, you know, at dinner. Um, and so that kind of, that's a bit of the prop in the story. Sure. You know, it's kind of like. Personalization. Exactly. And then the store, too, is personalized. You know, we brought a lot of stuff into the store. Um, and, you know, I don't know about everybody else's local bottle shop, but, you know, we brought a lot of flair that's like 
for, for lack of a better word, you know, a lot of flair, you know, like I've got some old punk rock photo books, like from Glenny Friedman right. on the shelves, you know, uh, my sister's boyfriend framed me of old Fugazi ticket from a show that I went to, you know, in 2002, just kind of like fun stuff that's sitting around the shop. I have a football scarves hanging on the wall. Yeah. I saw those. Yeah. A little, a little bit of conversation piece, but also to say like, Hey, real people work here and shop here. And this is our thing. You know, a lot of, a lot of, we're interested in many of the same things you're interested in. Yeah. You'd probably be interested in some of these spirits and wines. Yeah. So a little bit of, a little bit of is, is kind of tipping your hand and just showing your credibility. Like I don't tell everybody, Hey, I worked at this restaurant. That's really highly regarded. I don't say, to anybody really um just you want it to speak for itself and so it is a bit more challenging but also i think it's a little bit more rewarding because the space can it can kind of stand by itself yeah that's uh that's great and it, and it's afforded you a better family life a better you i mean you look saner than me <laughs> you look you look more like <laughs> today's my day off which is probably why i look a little bit more sane uh big shout out to alex who's uh sitting in my seat at the store as we speak um but yeah, for sure. You know, things are a little bit more integrated into um, a calmer life, I guess. You know, I turned 40 last year. And so I kind of viewed this as a, a the present to myself, you know, and I love working in service. I did it for so long. And this is still service. Yeah, exactly. And I don't it, think it's not. Exactly. Um, Retail is still service. The energy, though, the hook that brings you back to working in service, like when things are flowing from seven to nine to ten, and you're hitting all those points and you're dropping into a conversation and just like you're either saying the funniest thing or you overhear the guests trying to figure out the name of this show. And you're like, oh, you're talking about Ozark or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's just that is juice. That's real electric yeah, to man. have that feeling. Um, and it's hard. It's hard to walk away from. Yeah. It spikes that adrenaline need. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I mean, also good thing to walk away from. Sometimes you got to do it, you know, yeah. like you got to walk away from the table sometimes or else the game's not fun anymore. Truth. Yeah. 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 Any, you know, too much of anything is, is, is too, is too much. Right? Yeah. That's right. You can, you can, you can desensitize yourself to anything. I think that that, that happens a lot in our business. I think that's why I always like to stick and move and do a lot of different things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We always say if you're partying every night, it's not a party. You got a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not special anymore. Yeah. Parties are special. Yeah. Um, and speaking of special parties, we're going to do something special on Saturday. I'm really looking forward to this. I think this is going to be one of the first and a lot of fun events that we're going to do at the store. Am I? Uh, have you done any events yet? Am I the first event? The only thing we've done in the store is just kind of like a regular old tasting where the wine reps come in and open a few bottles. So this is the first event in the store. Outstanding. Yeah. So, so this Saturday... Uh, I'm going to be in your store, Parlor Wine and Spirits, in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. I'm going to bring a stack of my books. I'm going to sell and sign those, and we're going to have a, uh, we're going to do official tasting. We got an with, official tasting with, with House Alpens. House Alpens, which uh, do you know what they're going to bring to taste that day? I think so. I recommended a couple things that we sell in the store, as you'd imagine, just kind of uh, make the collaboration real, real uh, in sync. Uh, we're going to be tasting an Amaro based, uh, or sorry, Grappa based Amaro, Car tomorrow. Yep, love it. We're going to have... It's on my menu right now, Mori Margo. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Uh, campfire in a glass, a little Capoletti Sfumato Amaro. Oh, yeah. Smoky. And then uh, something, something new to me. I had never experienced this before, but a Rancio. Um, so this is an oxidated wine from uh, the Catal Cote Catalan, like very southern uh, France, Maspere. It's called Le Dimon de Midi. So... Midday Demon. It's the a midday demon. It's a cool looking thing. It's kinda weird. They like 
take this wine and put it in a glass Jeroboam and leave it in a garden for three years. What? I'd never heard of it before, and it blew my mind. I was like, I got to taste this. I tasted it, and I was like, this is just, it's like a sherry kind of. Yeah. But like from France. It's so, it's so, it's so neat. They're oh, like, man. they're in rows in a garden. It looks like they've planted the weirdest fruit. I am so excited for Saturday. <laughs> uh, and we're doing that from... Uh, we're doing that from 2 to 4 p.m. on Saturday, March 2nd, this week. And the address is... We're at 128 Nassau Avenue uh, in between Eckford and McGinnis Boulevard in so Greenpoint. Yeah, so super close to the Nassau stop on the G. Just a short walk. Uh, yeah, hanging out in Greenpoint on Saturday before I go to work Saturday night. Um, so not, I, not too much midday demon for you. I'll still have a plenty. Saturdays, <laughs> it sounds weird to say it out loud, but Saturday's my lightest day of, of, of mental work. Yeah. Uh, on Saturday, I'm, I, I, I work over at Windmill, my, new, my newest place, but I, I, oh, kind of pl- cool. I kind of play the role of bar back there on Saturday. You're almost maitre d' that night, right? You're I, showing up and... I'm more behind. You're, li- you're I, lifting, but it's not I'm uh, doing mental. dishes and yeah. running glasses and shaking hands and saying hello. I always call that the glue position when working yeah. in a restaurant. You're the guy that sticks everything together. Exactly. Yeah. I'm the bridge between the front and the back on Saturday nights. Crucial. So for me, it's like I'm not... I, I could be a little loose is what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I can have a couple of glasses of neat oxidized garden wine. That position always needs to be lubricated. It's got to be smooth. You got to flow. Yeah. Um, all right, man. Brandon, it's been a great chatting with you uh, about, uh, you know, making the leap from, from you know, on, on-premise to off-premise sales. It's awesome. Um, we didn't even talk about Lambrusco, which has blown my mind. Is that, is that one of your favorites? No, it's something that I didn't think I would have to think about in the store all winter. And it is a, the biggest difference uh, between off and on-premise, which is what I wanted to talk about a little bit here, is that people drink whatever the hell they want at home. And it's great. I totally celebrate it. But I didn't think I'd be reordering Lambrusco in January. Yeah. And it's flying. People just like, people, you know, you go home, when you go into a restaurant or bar, like it or not, unbeknownst to you, the choices that are laid out before you are really preset choices, right? Sure. You're following a seasonal menu. Yep. You're following a bar menu that's tailored to that seasonal menu, right? Of course. And if it's 22 degrees outside and you're walking home and you had a shitty day at work and you're like, I just want to drink some Lambrusco and pretend I'm in Italy in the summer, you're going to do that. Yeah. And you're going to come into the next store that you see and you're going to say, hey, you have any Lambrusco? And I'm going to look at you like, what do you mean? Yeah, there's fucking three feet of snow on the ground. Yeah, and you're like, I don't care. And that's the biggest difference. Everybody's very comfortable doing whatever the heck they want in the privacy of their own home, which is obviously, you know, that's where free choice leads you, and it's great. Um, But it is definitely something that blew my mind. Yeah, I I guess that's true. In a retail environment, seasonality is out the window. Yeah, there are some trends where, like, you buy deeper because of the season. Of course, of course. Like, you're not going to... Rosé, come on, bring it on. Exactly right. Uh, But you got to be ready to fill all those needs. Yeah, it, sim- similarly, somebody wants to drink a uh, big old PD heavy smoky scotch whiskey on, on the 4th of July. Of summer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God bless. <laughs> I got it right over here. Yeah, exactly right. Follow me to the selection. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's fascinating, too. Um, well, I'm looking really forward to, to hanging out with you on Saturday, signing some books, and drinking some uh, cool stuff from the team over at Hazal Pins. I, I assume David Phillips will join us. He's a, I think we're going to have Thierry, who okay. uh, you have some form of relationship Thierry, with. Yeah, I, won't, I won't say any more than that. but <laughs> yeah. I know all those dudes. Uh, I carry a bunch of their junk. 
their delicious, delicious juice. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, well, man, this has been a fascinating conversation because uh, I've never really done the retail aspect of, of this business. So. Yeah. Of this part of the business, I, I, I neither was, have I until a few months ago. So it's been uh, yeah, it's was, been a real adventure. I was the GM of a gourmet grocery store mm-hmm. for for some years, um, but but that was all grocery, not booze. Uh, and uh, you know, and I feel like maybe some of these things are similar. But man, the, the booze part is really pretty fascinating to me, and hopefully to our listeners as well. Um, either way, thanks again for bringing us uh, this bottle of uh, Little Wolf whiskey from Bardstown, Kentucky. It is delicious. Notes of uh, honeycomb and berry on the backside. Um, I'm currently working on a menu for uh, an all-American whiskey and beer bar, so I'm oh, going cool. to be checking this out and seeing if I can get it uh, on the bar there. Uh, that'll be opening hopefully in early April. Um, Got to stay busy. Dude, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm never not busy. Um, all right. Well, uh, thanks for joining me here on the Speakeasy. Uh, let's, uh, let's take a little sip of this and, and get out of here. Thanks for being here, buddy. Thanks for having me so much. Cheers, Cheers buddy. See you Saturday. More of the Speakeasy? Follow us and ask questions on Instagram at Speakeasy Podcast or on Twitter at Speakeasy Radio. You can find Damon at Damon Bolte and you can find me at Creative Drunk on all platforms. Take a moment to write us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform and give us a star rating, five if possible. If you're visiting New York City or a resident, stop by the studio and hang out with us during an episode. Reach out beforehand and make sure we'll be here. We'd love to see you. And please support our show by visiting heritageradionetwork.org and clicking on the beating heart to donate. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.